This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello, I'm Claire Southworth and you're listening to Talking Flutes. Now, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be into 2022. And whilst the thought of another year has been and gone is incredibly daunting, the wonderful thing about January is the sense of a fresh start. We think ahead to the new year, set ourselves goals, resolutions, and focus on what we want to achieve by the time 2023 comes along. Now this year we're running a series of episodes to celebrate this time of new beginnings and what better way to think of goals for the year ahead than speaking to the one and only Elizabeth Walker, historical flute performer, teacher and author, who is today going to give her best tips for flute practice. So hello Liz again. Hello Claire. So it's lovely to hear you and see you. We had such a wonderful chat a few months ago that I just had to ask you to come back and help kickstart our new year, new you season and help us all with some ideas for flute practice by kickstarting our new section on flute tips called Food for Thought with Claire and Liz, which we talked about recently. Fantastic. So we're going to try and introduce our Food for Thought tips in a few episodes. But with this first one, I, I asked you the difficult task of thinking about 10 tips. Or it was a difficult thoughts. task. It is a difficult task, isn't it? Do you want to start with your first one? Yeah. So what I wanted to think about a little bit with, uh, you know, just just 10 tips. I mean, it, it's quite hard to narrow it down and it's quite hard not to be um, just talking about the same old thing. And yet I think I've probably come up with 10 ideas that are the same old thing, but I'm hoping to dress it up in a slightly different way so that we don't just switch off and go, oh yeah, it's all about breathing, <laughs> which inevitably it's gonna be, isn't it? Because we're is. wind instruments. Uh, so I wanted to think about the term expressive use of air because we need to use our air, but it's how we do that in a way that allows us to be the expressive people that we we are. Um, and I quite like it that Kronz also um, quite a lot talks about, you know, expressive use of air, but he uses it with this analogy of thinking about a violin bow. So when he's talking about articulation, he's often talking about how a, how a violinist might uh, articulate that with a bow. And I quite like that idea of the violin bow because you can see it. We can't see our air. We can't see the air that we're bringing into our lungs. We can't see the air that we're expelling down into our flutes. So I quite like thinking about that visualization, if you like, of, of a violinist and, and how their bow speed changes. If you Think of a full orchestra making this huge, great big sound and you see all the violinists, you know, arms going and their shoulders and they're all, you know, physically, they're really getting into it. Um, and then, of course, you know, just occasionally they play this beautiful, slow, meandering tune and you can see that their bows 
are moving so slowly across the string. Now, I'm not a, a string player, uh, never played um, a string instrument. So uh, it's not about the technique of how they're using their bow. It's just really using that visualization to remind us that our speed of air changes. You know, it, it changes obviously when we go into different octaves, but it could also change as, as we try and lean into the middle of the phrase if you like and we can think about just just using that air in a in a faster way and responding to what happens when you put more air into the flute i mean clearly you have to do something with your lips you have to respond to that amount of air that you you know if you don't let the air out through a slightly bigger aperture then there's no point in blowing a little bit harder but it's that exploration of of you know changing the speed of the air with what you need to change a little bit with with the lips it's such great advice i often used a string analogy and i think for anyone listening you could if you can do you know what air guitar is when you try and you tend to play air guitar so we used to do air violin and fantastic you're, you're thinking about even just things like an upbeat like bom bom and you think about how you might do that if you were a string player with doing air violin or or air cello if you want and you think about what length of bow would you use would it be an up bow would it be a down bow how fast it would be and it it really helps you then link it into the way you use your your breath as well so it's a great way to think and 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 also as you said hugely important for thinking about articulation if you want to have sort of keep the length in the articulation or or make it shorter how would you do it if you were bowing it it makes us think a lot harder yeah yeah oh lovely i love the i love the additional air air violining brilliant a A really good number one what about number two good so number two i was trying to think about you know again it it, if i just say you've just got to repeat the bits that you can't do that sounds a little bit dull so i want to see if we can discover um an exciting way of of repeating uh bits that we we really know that we can't play uh we might have just skidded through um and and we know that we've got to do them again but we don't really want to just play it again and again so really being creative about using that little tiny um section that you that you know is tricky and finding creative ways of repeating that phrase so you know we can dot it we can lengthen one note we can uh, turn it backwards I love my poor students they do an awful lot of backward playing I always think if you can turn it around backwards then you're really going to know what the interval is or what the problem in 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 the finger work often it's obviously it it is a finger work thing and there's no harm in doing it backwards (laughs) not at all I like that I like going backwards (laughs) I like going backwards backwards at the beginning of the new year might be a bit strange but never mind So, yeah, so it's repetition, but changing the repetition, being creative with it. Yes. I have a definition for you, which links into this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, which, of course, applies to flute practice. So repetition, but in a creative way and changing it. And changing it. Yeah, and changing it. Great. I like that one. Good. 
Excellent. So that was repetition. That's number two. So number three. Um, yeah, it, it's it's the breathing. I mean, it, it is interesting, isn't it? It doesn't matter how many people we uh, introduce at Wales Cathedral School where we have this wonderful program where we, we have masterclass series and uh, endless wonderful teachers come, a procession of wonderful teachers come in and teach my students. And they, it always comes back to breathing. <laughs> and I always think, oh, it's not as if I haven't mentioned it. So we do need creative ways of thinking about our breathing, different ways of thinking about our breathing. And so I wanted to sort of try and uh, explore the idea that as, as you breathe, you just try and go deeper, broader. So what I mean by deeper and broader is wherever we're breathing from, just see if you can just expand it even more and go go broad as well as just you know filling your filling your lungs downwards if you like we're going to try and, and just open everything as we go so whatever breath I think that you're taking at the moment see if you can go one bit deeper one bit broader yeah that's good I, I would say the only cautionary note I would say is be careful when you try and take a little bit more is that you don't tighten up and your shoulders go up I think the oh, broad yes. bit is really important. Think about your your ribs expanding outwards. Yeah. And yep. it's interesting, you know, I've, I've just been to the gym this morning and I was mm -hmm. doing I was doing some interval training on the on the treadmill. And when you're really out of breath, you breathe so well because oh, wow. you, you have to, your body sort of takes over. So sometimes yeah, you, know, yeah. you go for, do a little bit of aerobic exercise, it can teach you a little bit about deeper breathing. So fantastic. It doesn't work for everyone, but it, it might work if you yeah, listen, yeah. it might work for you. But breathing is obviously the way we play. If you don't breathe well, you don't play well. And we all need more air. You know, we, we lose a lot of air when we play the flute. It's not like playing a reed instrument. So this I like that word of depth. It makes you think deeper down into your into your tummy muscles. Deeper down. I like it when I, you know, when you watch a, a really good singer, may, maybe they're in costume and, and they're singing a, a, a historical, maybe maybe a, a Mozart opera and you and, and the singer comes on stage and, and as they breathe, you can really sort of, you can really feel them almost, you know, lifting out of their costume, yeah. <laughs> if you like. <laughs> and, and it's, again, it's sort of a visual thing because sometimes we, we try and breathe more deeply and, and the act of trying, as you say, you, you lift your shoulders and, and sometimes your throat can even shut down as you're trying to breathe. So I think sometimes that that uh, effort of, I'm, I know I must breathe deeper, so I'm just going to try a bit harder, doesn't result in, in, a, in a deeper breath. So I think if we can just sort of visualize, if you like, that sort of broadening of the shoulders, deepening of the chest. I was also exercising this morning, but in my Pilates class, <laughs> and uh, my Pilates teacher noticed that uh, as I try and, and, and do my exercise, if you like, I tend to just a little bit clench in my knees. I don't know if anyone resonates with that. And she said, you know, if you can just bend your knees, soften that lower part of your back. And so I was thinking about that in my flute practice this afternoon, just just releasing the knees, just bending the knees a little bit. And 
suddenly I did find a, a broader, deeper breath. So, you know, even after 40 odd years of flute practice, you can still maybe, you know, find that extra depth just by doing something simple by releasing your knees. Because that also sort of slightly comes on to my next number four, which was posture. So they are very, very interlinked posture and being able to release this deeper breath because... Obviously, if we cause any amount of tension in any part of our body, whether it be our shoulders, our knees, our necks, for me, I tend to clench my little toes. I often think, you know, when you've got a newborn child and they, you want to put them in shoes and the shop says, no, they can't go into shoes until they've stopped clenching their toes. I sometimes think, Claire, I wonder why and how I ever got to wear shoes because I still clench my toes. <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting because we, we all of us do have habits that we because it's a habit we don't realize that we do it and I think in terms of posture sometimes you can do quite a lot of work before you start playing the flute in order to make yourself a little bit aware of of muscles and where there's tension or, or where you could release tension I mean if you just sort of things if you actually put your shoulders up and feel the tension and then feel it and then relax so you understand what the relaxing bit feels like or if you stand on one leg, stand on your left leg, feel where the tension is, and stand on your right leg and feel where the tension is. Or yeah, absolutely. Push your hips forward or push them back, or bend your knees, or lock your bend knees. Bend your knees, yes. Or clench your toes. Clench your toes, <laughs> exactly, clench your toes. And There's that wonderful, toes. isn't there, that sort of standing on two feet and leaning forwards and, and putting yourself off balance, and it's sort of, it's really, really, really scary, but you know, don't fall over and trying this at home. But if you do just sort of push your balance one one way or the other, uh, it's remarkably uh, effective in, in helping you realize, I mean, I've got a lot of students who try and play the flute on one leg. I'm sure yeah. you've had over the years. <laughs> it's quite, it's I'm quite sort of jealous, but <laughs> yes. Well, it's a little a little bit of, of Ian Anderson, Jethro Tull, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so yep. he does it very, very well, I have to say. So but, um, <laughs> I don't think we can go down that route, really. But it, An it acquired skill. Doesn't it? It, the, we're trying to re release the tension. And sometimes some postural habits create yep. tension. And then, as you said, that affects the breath. So you don't breathe yep. as well or as deeply. And that affects your sound. So and a fantastic um, tool that we have, uh, and I'm very lucky in, in my teaching room uh, in Wales, we all, we all have these long windows. Um, I don't mean windows, mirrors. Mirrors, yeah. And, and, you know, if you're not practicing in front of a mirror, do at some point, or, you know, sometimes we have, it's the benefit of, of having these Zoom lessons that we've been able to watch ourselves on the screen so closely. Um, sometimes you're really not aware of, you know, I'm very lucky in my Pilates lessons that I've got a teacher who can come up behind me and, and point out those postural things. I think I'm standing straight and then she sort of, you know, prods me in the back and then I go straight and think, ah, that's straight. <laughs> but we don't always know. And it, and it is helpful to practice in front of a mirror and just, yeah. just check that, yeah. you know, everything looks sort of right. You reminded me of a, of a, of a story. There's a, there's a very, very well-known um, international bassoonist. This is a few, quite a few years ago. And he was telling me a story that, you know, he was just sitting practicing and he just caught sight of himself in the mirror <laughs> and thought, right. oh, heck, what am I doing? And his, his wow. posture had changed and he just 
hadn't realized. I mean, it ha must have right. happened very sort of, you know, sort of subconsciously, but he just caught mm -hmm. sight of himself and then was able to adjust it. So mirrors is so important. And the other thing I was just thinking of is is a sort of a, um, well, a vicious circle could be, if you think of a circle, that if you have poor posture, that can equal poor breathing, which equals poor tone. So if you can change that around into yeah. a, a good circle, that if you have good posture, you will breathe well and you'll, you will sound a lot better. So, and release, yeah, release that release. depth of that breath going back into our breathing idea that it, we are trying to broaden and that, and that comes from a release all the way down our spine because you know our, our ribs that are attached to our lungs which are attached to you know it all it's the, it's like that old song isn't it the the knee bones connected to the thigh bone etc well talking about songs now number five is sing a story what's that about so sing and tell a story it's um i i've used a lot of songs uh over the years um i've arranged quite a few as many people will know my uh strauss songs that i've arranged i like the fact that, that when you're a singer you have the words and it tells you so much about the emotional content of the song you know if you're singing about a a, a rainy day and you thought it was about a sunny day you know, you, you're, you're getting so many clues from the word. So I, I suppose having loved playing songs for that that exact sort of, you know, shortcut, if you like, to, to what, you know, the emotion behind what, what I'm playing, I've introduced now, um, it's, always, it's not always necessary, but if I'm just struggling with a little bit of phrasing, I might superimpose a, a a text that will just help me to remember that that's where my phrase wants to go um, or that I'm, you know, I'm in a, a happy mood now rather than a sad mood. So it it sort of sounds a little bit shortcutty, doesn't it? And a bit cheaty. But on the other hand, you know, when, when it comes to it, we want to remember that we're communicating our music. Uh, to an audience who maybe has never heard this piece before and if we if we've got a really clear intention of what we're trying to say i think that can sometimes relate across it doesn't matter that our audience is not hearing you singing about what what it is that you're thinking in your head but it should relate to the music being really clear the the message coming across really clearly about what your intentions are when you're playing a piece of music yeah, that's that's really good. I, I used to, to ask students just to go to the library and get out a songbook. Just anything that where you it's a similar thing where you can you're you're play, you're doing a little bit of sight reading, but you've got words there as well. Um and yeah. it really helps you connect with the emotion. When I when I was um a student, that there was a book we, we used a lot by by Moyes called Tone Development Through Interpretation. I'm sure you use that as well. And Indeed. I remember at, at one of the flute courses I went to, all the, the, the book was based on Moise. Moise was in, started off in a choir. He loved choral music and, and opera. And he gathered all these beautiful melodies and put them in the book. And so at this flute course, all the original songs and choral works had just been, a little bit of them had been recorded. So you could hear. Oh, wow. The original Brilliant. before you played the actual tune in the book and it was the first time that I could see a link between flute yeah. 
singing. I was very young at the time when it, when I first did this. Brilliant. But also the emotion behind whatever that song was or whatever that bit of opera was. So we can all do that. Just get songbooks out. Yes. And it's so it's so easy now, isn't it, to 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 use that book and to then look up all all of the references because you know we've got YouTube at our fingertips, which is so such a, a brilliant. Yeah, yeah. wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Now I want to go and dig that study book out and go and listen to all the songs. Fantastic. We we, we sound I mean, like we, are... old, we sound like two old dears, Liz, talking about. <laughs> Do we, we really care? It was so difficult because you couldn't get <laughs> computers, you couldn't Google this and that and the other, and now you just it's so go, true though. I know you just say Alexa, play me whatever. Yes, oh, my Alexa just come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, right, no, but it's on. you know. Okay, so variety. Uh oh, yes. So you can tell I was thinking about this quite a while ago and, and I'm just thinking, yes, so constantly creating colours with hairpins. Do you know, I think that's probably come from a, a particularly Baroque perspective. You know, if you play your, your Bach flute sonatas and you open the page up, uh, there's nothing. There's, there's, there's no hairpin on them. And I've done quite a lot of arranging of, for example, the, the Bach trio uh, sonatas, which is a, an organ uh, trio sonata. And, and, and in my arranging, it's not just putting the notes in, in the right key that works for, for us. I've also added all the dynamics and the contrasts. And I always feel a bit nervous about doing that because they're not Bachs. But on the other hand, if I don't put them in, I think there's a, 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 a bit of a temptation to play music without creating colours. So I quite like to put in some hairpins, even if I change my mind about them. And certainly if you're <laughs> if you're using one of my arrangements, do feel free to change the hairpins. But, you know, put put them in so that you've got a sense of direction and a sense of... Um, yeah, going back to that expressive use of air so that you know where your where your air's going. And I think the other thing is, you know, in, in part of your adding variety, you know, think about changing your articulations. Again, I have to do that a lot on Baroque flute. We don't really have that many um oh I'm gonna get into terrible trouble here. Uh, <laughs> we don't really have that much in in terms of dynamic contrast because we have fault notes and unfault notes. This is getting a bit high tech. So um in order to add variety on Baroque flute, we do a lot of different articulations. So we've got, you know, soft legato tonguing, we've got hard legato tonguing, we've got all sorts of variety coming in on our articulation. And I sometimes think with modern flute, because we learn to go to, everything comes out a little bit um, the same. So I think, you know, throwing in uh, different articulations, different slurrings, different hairpins, it just, just keep everything, um, yeah, with keep thinking about how you can add variety, because I think it is the spice of life. It certainly is. I give the listeners, if you... If you just take just take a phrase, a simple phrase, doesn't matter what it is, and think about putting hairpins in different places and see how the music changes. So that you could have a hairpin going through it. Say you had a four bar phrase, you could have a hairpin going through the whole of the four bar phrase. So you gradually build up uh, volume to the end, or you could reverse that, or you could go, you could, 
have a hairpin going to the middle of the phrase and then coming away at the end. And then you could just do individual, think about different notes where you might have a hairpin then coming away and just, just chop and change and see what the effect is. And then it's probably easier than when you get to your repertoire will help you be a little bit more creative with that. So, so many people just play in this monotone, this monosyllabic um, manner. And I think Baroque music scares people. So it becomes yes. more, more of a monotone because they daren't do anything. But, you know, you can, you can be creative with it. Absolutely. And I think the fact that it's not written in, uh, one should see that as a really liberating thing. You know, we, we've been given in Baroque music the the bare the bare outline of, of what the composer wanted because all of those printing things were, you know, printing a, a hairpin was, was very laborious, had to go underneath notes which were, were printed in blocks. So, you know, they, they just, the fact that they didn't put them in did not mean that the music just had to come out exactly the same. So, but see that as, oh, great, you know, somebody hasn't told me what to do here. I can do whatever I want. And that should be more liberating rather than terrifying. But I agree, people are put off because it looks, it sort of looks dull on the page, doesn't it? Because there's, <laughs> there's not there's enough stuff of, there. There's a couple of, of study books, uh, the Damas 24 and the Karg Ellert Caprices. Oh, yeah. have no markings in and it's not doesn't mean you don't do anything it means you get creative you get your pencil out and you put your hair pins and your dynamics in go for it yeah, yeah. You have to go for it and the fact that and, and, you know and, and there are editions of studies where those hairpins are in uh, for example if you're doing the Boehm Caprices and you're using for example uh, the Chester edition that's that's somebody's uh, ideas of hairpins and you go and get a different edition and they're not in there they're or they're different so l license to change your mind number one and number two to change the uh, edition the editor's mind uh, if you're convinced by something it'll be convincing so don't worry about you know, changing your mind on, on a hairpin and putting something else in. Absolutely. And that, and I mean, every performance could be different. Because I you love that to, idea. You don't have to stick to the same thing. I've got another yeah. quote for you. I've just, I've just found. Brilliant. This is from, uh, which is pertinent to this conversation. It's by Roosevelt, the president of the USA in 1901. And he said, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, you do nothing yes. in your music. That's the worst thing. That's the worst thing. Do love something. that. Do something. <laughs> just do something. <laughs> Sorry, just a Excellent. random quote that was just sitting No, I the love that. <laughs> okay. We're so we're yeah, so now I'm talking about subdividing. So I've um I've worked quite a lot with a percussionist in the last couple of years, and I love the way that it's so simple. You know, it's all about subdivision, guys. <laughs> it's just that simple. So if you're seeing a crotchet, you've got to think quavers or semi quavers, um, and then it works. Um, and the same with rests, you know, don't don't just sort of see a a block of, of rest if if it's a 
Minim rest, then then think crotchets. If it's a crotchet rest, think quavers. If it's a quaver, think semi-quavers. So constantly subdividing. And and again, I find that really liberating. Once you've got that, that pulse coursing through you, um, everything starts to, to get twice as exciting. So I would speed up the subdivisions. I would be thinking at least semi-quavers all the way through a piece and just enjoy feeling that sort of ticker, 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 ticker. It's like, you know, a, a, the heartbeat going through. But I'm amazed how uh, how long I've gone in music without seriously subdividing. So it's my new thing. There we go. New for 2022. <laughs> Join me in my uh, new quest for subdivision. Uh, things fall into place so much more if, you, if you've if you got that sense of, of pulse coursing through you. Yeah. And if you're going into contemporary music, um, if you're used to subdividing in, in our older music, then in contemporary music, it becomes so much easier when you have very complex time signatures. If you're used to subdividing, yeah. you know how to feel it. So it really helps you in, in, in more modern music as well. Brilliant. Uh, Perfect. Uh, so dancing. Um, I'm a strictly complete nut, actually. I adore watching Strictly. I'm a useless dancer. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I think if we can uh, keep that life, that sense of not, uh, I mean, you know, it ties in with everything. It comes back into variety um, and, 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 and certainly singing your story comes into the dance as well, because I think you need to really, really feel your way through the bar and, and not have the same weight going through every single beat. So there are very few pieces uh, that don't actually benefit from having a, a slightly different feel on the first beat to the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth, however many beats there are. And I think if you can dance your way through it visually or emotionally, you are going to create just that little bit more life going coursing through your music. So I would really recommend everybody just lilts and and, and moves and just feels their music dancing a little bit. Yeah, that's lovely. And you can dance to any piece of music. And sometimes those movements are more natural for people than thinking about it. So I absolutely agree with you to try and dance your way through things, except then when you get to performance. Because oh, yes. We've got to keep a little yes. bit stiller. So we don't yes. want to do big movers when we play, but we're using the dance as an as an a to help us feel because yeah. music is so much about feel to feel the the mood the emotion the flow the direction yeah. and that's what it helps with and i think even if you're playing an incredibly slow moving piece i've often found the shape that i need just by speeding it up and dancing my way through it and obviously that's not how i'm going to play it in the concert but it just helps so much to to keep that sort of movement going in your mind okay um okay so the next one is is a really strange one i mean i remember sitting in uh, my daughter's cello lesson once and her cello, her cello teacher saying um you really need to listen <laughs> but what a strange thing to say to a little musician that they need to listen but then i thought actually do you know what it is too obvious to say and yet quite often 
I think even, you know, today I might have just been practicing and not really listened. So I think it's worth saying as a top tip, don't forget to listen, really listen and, and try and listen with either somebody else's ears or indeed just, you know, very quickly record yourself and listen back. It's another one of our wonderful tools that will make us feel old, Claire. But, you know, we have a we have a phone. Uh, it, it has a wonderful um ability just to quickly record ourselves you can delete it afterwards listen back and I'll you know I'll be amazed if you haven't um you know not done that and but then really been amazed at what you've heard back and thought oh I didn't know I, f I shaped it that way so I think you know uh yes number one listen with your own ears as you're playing and and be you know critical not to you know not not so that you put your flute down and go oh, I can't play anymore but just that sort of you know have I have I actually got the sound that I'm, I'm wanting? Am I actually playing this, you know, with the intonation that I want, maybe, or the articulation that I want? And then just quickly check by 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 recording yourself. I wouldn't say do it every time, but just don't forget that actually uh, you do at some point in your practice need to really really listen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and um, the. I used to talk about constructive criticism because it's no yeah. good giving yourself so many negatives. We all feel really important. better. We all live in a world, you know, in terms of in music that yeah. do that better. I wish I could do that again, you know. So yes. when you're listening, be constructive uh, with your yeah. criticism um, and also reward yourself. You know, you can also say, wow, I did that really well. Um, that's really important. That. Yeah, really yep. important. That went a lot better than I thought it was going to go. Um, yeah, and if yeah. you're going to, to record a little bit more than just a fraction, uh, that might be the time maybe not to listen back immediately, but maybe to wait a day or two so that it sort of settles so you're not so so uh, um, negative or critical about it that you give yourself a chance to say, okay, I like this, didn't like that so much, and then you can go back and practice those sections yeah really good advice really good recording obviously it's it's so it's such a good learning tool uh, that we should all use it a little bit more often yeah i think so and we can all do it we can all do it brilliant number 10 so that brings me, yeah my last one so i don't know why it's number 10 i don't think there was any real um sort of you know there's no more importance to number one to number 10 but i was just thinking that uh it's really nice to uh, memorize little chunks of your practice because it also helps you then to uh think outside projecting to your music stand which is what you're looking at because if you can take the music away you can then start projecting outwards outwards to I used to uh, practice and, and have a, a a deaf person sitting on the chimney across the the uh, other side of actually it was the the canal in Holland I remember very well playing uh, and and it doesn't matter you know what your imagery is but try and play out and across and over to something now clearly that's much harder to do if you're staring at your music um which is on your stand which is only you know a, a couple of of inches away from your nose um so i think you need to 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 be able to memorize but not not memorize in terms of can i play this you know whole 50 minute concerto uh, without my music this is really really just 
tiny, tiny, tiny snippets. So, uh, you know, for those who go, oh, I don't like to memorize anything. I'm really not talking about, you know, starting at the top and, and getting to the end of the piece from memory, just little chunks. And I think that'll, that really does help you uh, just to, to focus on, 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 on where you want your sound to be going to. And it's generally not as far as the music stand, but much further. I love that thought of projecting over the canal somewhere else. I mean, if you have to look around you, you know, if you've got pictures on the wall, if that helps you think yep. of a scene where you can project, that's that's absolutely brilliant. Now, memory, that's that's an interesting one because it doesn't matter if you go wrong because it's not it's really not important. My earliest memories of 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 doing things from memory when I was told this is has to be from memory. Now yeah. And, it, and it used to scare me to death. Of course. And it felt it felt terrifying. Um, it wasn't done in a a nurturing way, in a in a, in, a, in a, an encouraging way. It was done that if you don't do this, you're in deep trouble. Oh and no, that's it, not good. It is not good. I think if you do what you were just saying, that you do little chunks where you're thinking about projecting, and you're not just staring at the page. That is so, it's such a healthy way of, 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 of playing your instrument. And it doesn't matter if you go wrong. And then you start to get confident about not only doing your little bit of memorization, but maybe also doing improvisation, you know, where you're, you're not worried about what it is you're playing. You're just sort of feeling it, enjoying it, projecting it. So- Yeah, and I'd, I'd almost go as far as to say, you know, it would be healthy to go wrong almost, you know, because yes. I, I like I like the idea that you don't need to play exactly what's on the page. So uh, as soon as you've gone in, uh, in uh, you know, off the page, off the piece, as you like. Well, I mean, there's no difference then between, um, you know, improvisation because you, you are changing what you're seeing on the page. And maybe what you're playing is 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 better. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's just you're you're playing for enjoyment, and it's very interesting, isn't it? When I think about jazz musicians and how free and relaxed they look when they're playing, compared compared to a classical musician who's staring at a music stand and terrified that the notes aren't going to come out right. Um, you know, it's much more liberating and much more relaxing seeing jazz musicians because they haven't got the music in front of them, and they're using their ears and they're listening and they're playing what they want actually i mean it's it's jazz improvisation and it's something i i would say i can't do claire but what i admire about them is that they have that complete relaxed enjoyment uh, uh, or seemingly and i'm sure they have you know it because they haven't got that sense of they mustn't go wrong and we we suffer a lot from the we mustn't go wrong we must play exactly what's on that page in in the right order at the right time and that's quite quite terrifying isn't it sometimes yeah so i'm not advocating that you don't play what's written on the page but that you get what's written on the page to the point where you can just almost shut your eyes and play it without thinking about staring at it because if you're still staring at the dots you are going to be terrified and we haven't we haven't touched on nerves and that's a completely different subject but um from my perspective if you know what's on that page you're going to be a lot less terrified uh, than if you're still staring at it because yeah. that is terrifying 
It's, it's, um, it's brought back memories of, of um, when I first started the flute. I started the flute playing without music. I played Jethro Tull songs. Wow. And Wonderful. I just, that just sort of inspired me. And then, of course, when yeah. you start formal learning, that's yeah. in those days, it went out the window. You just had your book with Tuna Day Book yep. One and you worked yes. with Tuna Day Book One. And all that creative feel mm. and the, the, the freedom of playing without music had disappeared. And then it wasn't till many years later when I went to college that suddenly, first year, this is from memory, and I've yeah. lost the skill because I felt that it was a it was something terribly hard suddenly. So I really like the idea that that everyone plays little bits from memory and improvises and becomes confident about looking away from what's on the music stand. Yeah. Well, Liz, that's all absolutely fantastic. I've got dogs barking here. Um, have. Which, which <laughs> I've got a house full of dogs at the moment, so I'm really sorry Wonderful. that's coming, coming through. Um, Liz, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much. I love your, your pen tips. I think Great. I'm going to write those down and put them on our Talking Fruits uh, page so people yep. can read them. And we are going to get together um, at a later date, maybe just in a, in a few weeks, and we'll talk more about flute tips, but we have to, we're going to continue doing some sections of food for thought. Um, we are. And it's going to be a, a regular event through the podcast in 2022. And are there any listeners who have some topics that, that you want us to talk about in terms of food for thought? Then please do write in we're at flutepodcasts at gmail.com um, and we have a designated facebook page called talking flutes and we're also on twitter and instagram at flute and at claire flute so do write in tell us what you think liz it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you claire we'll talk soon bye for now ha happy new year to everyone happy new year to everyone <laughs> bye bye Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.